Hi, I'm Jeff Heisner with the Michigan District, and this is the Thought Leader Podcast. Today, we're talking with pastors Gabe Casper and Marcus Lane from ULC, University Lutheran Chapel in Ann Arbor. Thanks so much for making time for us. I, I know this is the busy season, so we definitely appreciate it. Hey, glad to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having us. So we're talking about ministry in a post-Christian and, yes, sometimes hostile world. We can dive right into what does post-Christian culture mean to you guys? And what do you think of when it comes to that word? Yeah, um, if it's right with you, Marcus, I can start us off if that works. Um, so I think of uh, the uh, uh, historian Philip Reef. He he describes uh, sort of the Western world in in three historical epochs, like sort of three eras. Uh, and he talks about the first one um, really being the uh, the pre-creedal era. And so this is kind of your your Greco-Roman, the world of late antiquity. And so it's like pre-Christianity, and it's just kind of that that era was dominated by a pantheon of gods, that that sort of thing. Uh, and then you move into what what he called credo culture, which was uh, predominantly Christendom, and, and we might think of, um, you know, I mean, the, the Holy Roman Empire and 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 um, and the, the Ottoman or not the Ottomans, excuse me, the Byzantines and, and sort of Eastern Europe that way as well. Okay, so you kind of have that, but and you have that for for a pretty long time. And then he argues that you know you kind of have at least a soft Christendom, we might say, really up until uh, kind of the. Uh, we might say the about the 1960s, and it sort of ebbs and flows, right? I mean, like obviously the U.S. was never formally Christendom or anything like that, but uh, but in terms of religious involvement, the general ethics of people, regardless of their actual participation in a religious community, these sorts of things, we're, we're all somewhat similar um, and in a similar sort of uh, we, we might say Protestant ethic, um, and then. Uh, and then things kind of shift. And so we enter into the, the third phase, which which he would call a post-Christian or a post-creedal culture. Uh, and in many ways, that, that seems to be kind of where we are in the, the 21st century. And so we can kind of see, I mean, there, there's all the stats that that we see, but there's also the the feeling we have as well of just like, so, so there's clear stats of, of religious attendance decline, church membership decline, religious belief declining, all this sort of stuff, the rise of the nuns. I mean, we point to a million stats that way. But I think a lot of ways the post-Christian culture is is in many ways sort of a, a feeling that we we almost operate with, um, even as Christians. Uh, that it's like, oh, we're not at the the center of society anymore. Our ethics aren't all assumed to be the same as my neighbors, uh, and and we're less at the center. We're less the sort of moral compass for the culture, and instead of sort of been moved to the outskirts of the culture, or at least are moving to the outskirts of the culture. Um, I don't know, Marcus. Would you want to add more to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I definitely echo a lot of what Gabe said. Um, I think maybe just sort of the way that, I, that I'd sort of like put, um, you know, kind of describe that feeling is, um, so thinking about my work as, as campus pastor uh, at University of Michigan, a lot of that work is actually having to, and, and even to Christian students, whether it's Christian students, non-Christian students, actually having to make a case for Christian ethics, right? And so you might have a student who comes to U of M, they've grown up in the church, and then they end up in an environment that's a little bit different than their uh, the environment that they were raised in. And so suddenly now, I actually have to make a case for a biblical ethic regarding any host of, of issues. Um, and so it's not just that the, that's, that's the sort of assumed way of operating, uh, but that I have to be able to say, um, and the church has to be able to say, um, well, actually, like, here's why 
God has called us to live that way, right? And so it's actually uh, the notion that we have to actually make a case for what we believe, um, I think is is maybe one of the fundamental sort of ways that we experience that shift, where it once was the assumed way of operating uh, has now become one option among many. Um, and for many people, maybe one of the most inconvenient options uh, among the whole host of different things that you could choose to live your life by. Would you guys say being on a college campus, it's got to be much, much different than many other pastors and what they deal with, I would imagine? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think yes and no. Um, I think in in one sense, there, there definitely is that. I mean, so like, let's. there's probably a number of factors. And in fact, I'll try not to say too much because I think Marcus can probably speak to this better than I can. But uh, I think there's a number of factors. So on the one hand, you have, uh, let's say, college students who perhaps at any era are going to be going through their own sort of existential, figuring out my life, figuring out, you know, my own faith as well. Just like at any era, you, you just have that because of the stage of life, right? So, so there's just that uniqueness. And then in terms of like, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things, and I'll let Marcus speak to this, but but I, I think one of the interesting things, I think sometimes, and, and it depends on the college campus, but at least for us at U of M, I think sometimes the assumption, if we look at sort of the, the media landscape of the US right now, uh, college campuses seem to be these like hyper contested spaces. And it's like, the just godless liberals are just doing whatever. And like, I mean, there's certainly like, some of that there's protests and there's stuff like that too but but to be honest we mostly i think the biggest thing is less a hostility and it's more an indifference uh it's just like uh we just don't care about you it's like we're just sort of irrelevant um and i'll maybe let marcus speak more to that and i stepped on his toes a little bit sorry marcus it in Marcus yeah. almost is that almost more uh i would worse maybe with the indifference yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I mean, I think Gabe and I have probably had that conversation ad nauseum at this point. Um, yeah. And uh, and I do think, I mean, obviously, every environment comes with its own challenges. Um, and so, an incredibly antagonistic and hostile culture that, of course, comes with its its challenges because you know you you may live in fear of, um, you know, am I going to be prevented either by the law or by threats of my life, you know, from doing what I'm going to do. And so I don't want to like belittle the kind of like, that is a challenge I do not deal with on, on a regular basis, but it is a unique challenge in the sense of, of like getting people to engage, even, even if that engagement is disagreement can be immensely challenging that when the posture is simply, I don't know and I don't care um, about your religious claims or about the God that that you worship, um, that can that can be an immense hurdle to overcome because there's all kinds of work that needs to be done to say, okay, why is belief in God, why is religion a category that should even be worth operating with uh, when it isn't already for probably the majority of of students on campus um, and within, I think, secularism uh, and that sort of post-Christian culture that we we live and breathe right now a lot of times. Um, and this isn't just true in a place like Ann Arbor. It's, it's true in a lot of our country um, is is it can you have to overcome this entire hurdle, this entire obstacle of of not just getting people to be willing to reckon with uh, the things that the church proclaims and the things that we believe, 
Uh, but to even care about those things at all, let alone these sort of Christian claims and the Christian view on on these different these different things. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I definitely again, I don't. I'd have a hard time saying it's more challenging than, say, a missionary in a place in which being a Christian is against the law and you may be threatened with jail or death for proclaiming the Christian faith. Um, but it is it, it is it is challenging uh, in its own unique way, um, maybe more so than the sort of attitude of like, I'm going to tell you all the reasons that Christians are dumb and ignorant and and why you're just foolish. Um, because at least when that's going on, there's some level of engagement, right? And getting people to even engage in the conversation can be incredibly difficult in the kind of culture that that at least I've experienced in in Ann Arbor and in, and on a college campus like University of Michigan. Yeah, I definitely heard and seen that campus ministry, um, whether it's from authors or, or you name it, uh, heard it's been called the most strategic mission field that you can find. So. Yeah. <laughs> You both could probably agree to that, right? Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. So I know you've had success stories. So how have you been able to, and what have you been able to do to get people to engage and to get people to uh, come to Christ? One of the nice things is uh, Marcus and I are perfect pastors who've never made any mistakes. And I think it's through our perfection that people are inspired. No, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, we, we've definitely, uh, been grateful to, to see some fruit and, and, um, if Marcus wants to, he can maybe share stories that, that way too. Um, uh, but, but I think one of the, the things that, that we try to do, I mean, so, I mean, just for example, to our, our point on irrelevance. So, uh, a sociologist I follow called Ryan Berg, uh, recently released something that, uh, he discovered that the largest religious category for college age young adults is, quote, nothing in particular or, quote, I don't care. Right. So they're filling out the demographic survey and, you know, what religion are you? Nothing in particular or they fill out. I don't care. Whatever. So so like um, so again, just to, to speak to that. So so if that's if that's the situation we find ourselves in, um, you know, how, how do we engage in that? I mean, one of the the things I think we try to do and and. Um, we're of course not perfect, but I, I often want to, um, how do I put it? I want to be the most loving person in the room. And, and I want our church to be known as the most loving community on a campus that, you know, of course, in the midst of our sort of culture war conversations, whatever, doesn't mean we accept everything and are okay with everything. Uh, but it does mean that like, we're going to come, uh, from a place of service, you know, we're going to come from a place of love for neighbors. So one of my favorite stories this way is, uh, our church, and sorry, Marcus, I'm going long. What, I don't know. You've worked with me for four years. You're used to it. Uh, but uh, uh, our church does Alpha, which is a evangelistic ministry. And um, so we've been running Alpha for years. And the Ann Arbor YMCA, uh, well, no, sorry, the, the headquarters of the YMCA called us up and said, hey, would you run an Alpha in the Ann Arbor YMCA? And we're like, oh, my gosh, amazing. Yes, we'd love to. So we call up the Ann Arbor YMCA and uh, and said, hey, the headquarters asked us to do this. Can we schedule some time to figure out when to do it? And they said, hey, actually, I know what headquarters said. We'd rather you didn't do it. Uh, we don't We don't want to support any specific religious belief at the YMCA, uh, at the Young Man's Christian Association. Uh, okay. Uh, and so now, okay, so in that moment, we have a bit of a, a option here. We can get really salty and grumpy and, oh, how dare they do that? 
Uh, but actually, our, the leader of our uh, Alpha, she said, you know what? That's okay. Um, you know, our church really believes in serving our neighbors and loving our neighbors. So uh, we would love to just bless your staff. And so over the course of that next year, she led a group of people in, in blessing the staff of the YMCA. Now, like, I don't think we got a baptism out of that or anything, Jeff, but uh, but I think it's one of those things of of learning how to live faithfully uh, in the midst of our, our cultural context. Gabe kind of mentioned, you know, this sort of idea of seeing the gospel as as an alternative narrative, according, you know, apart from the narratives that, that were so often tempted to live by. Um, and, uh, and, and I think kind of alongside of that kind of adjacent to that is, is I think also the invitation to see um, really that thing that you prioritize in life, maybe that thing that drives you, that motivates you is, is to see how is that more fully realized in the gospel, right? So for example, um, I end up working with a lot of students who, um, because of their program, because of uh, the things that they're doing, the things that they're interested in, the things that really tug at their heart, they, they are deeply passionate about issues of, of social justice. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, this ends up being for a variety of reasons, a, a contentious issue in the church, uh, because, you know, occasionally there are ideas around what does justice look like in the world that uh, maybe are half truths, maybe, maybe uh, can lead people into error and, and being able to invite people to see, okay, how does the Christian story already sort of take kind of what you see, what you care about in the world, the brokenness that you've identified and how does how does there a, a fuller picture, right? Because we've been after this thing called justice for pretty much all of human history, and it always feels out of grasp. How is there biblical language that helps us understand that reality in light of things like sin and grace and justification and the hope of the resurrection and, and all of these things, right? So how does the Christian story speak to the places that that are already at, at the ache of, of many people who are uh, most deeply shaped by by uh, our post-Christian culture. Um, and then in terms of actual like ministry practice, um, one of the things that that I've I, you know kind of deeply believe in and kind of echoes that idea of being the most loving person in the room uh, is just this notion of of a willingness to be present. Um, and just how often I think ministry uh, for me, uh, right now, it looks like being present with students, with young people, uh, with people being shaped by this and, and maybe wrestling in their faith uh, and just being present, being the, the most consistent person in their life uh, in the midst of all of the ups and downs that are inevitably come. And when their ire is directed at the church, being the person who's going to say, you know what, I know how you feel about Christianity and maybe that's legitimate, maybe it's not. But regardless of how you feel about Christianity, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be with you and seek to model the enduring presence of, of Christ and the promise of his grace in the midst of, of whatever people are going through in life. How much more listening do you do than actually talking then in that regard? Yeah. I mean, if I preach shorter sermons, the ratio would be more than <laughs> listening. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, when I'm meeting one-on-one -on -one with people, uh, I mean, it's definitely a lot more like, I hear you, yeah, than, than it is. Um, I can't think of the last time I told someone like, yeah, actually what you need to do with your life is this, um, to, to just be able to whis listen and demonstrate that presence kind of through the long haul. 
um, and and be the person when they when someone finally is looking for, hey, what direction do I go? The person that they're going to go to, the the church, the community that they're going to go to for that is the the community that's demonstrated we're going to be with you no matter what. Yeah, I think to that listening point too, Jeff, and and just to piggyback off Marcus here, we we want to listen well, like pastorally, and yes, we want to do that. And then it's though we we also are fortunate at ULC we're we're a town and gown right so we have residents and students uh, where a, a major part of our ministry that way is is pairing up our students with spiritual mentors with uh, people that will walk with them over the long haul that are are mature Christians that are part of our ministry so it's in many ways we as pastors they can come to us with like hey I got this big question I'm wrestling with or whatever else. And we can sit there and 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 walk with them in that. And then we also have people that we can say, "Hey, you know who I know walked through this is is this gal, and she's super wise, and she'd love to be with you." And so it ends up being uh, such an amazing thing to see God's people enter into this space as as students are are maybe wrestling with with some of the more uh, challenging aspects of being a Christian right now, and or if they're figuring out being a Christian right now, that that we have people that that walk well with them that way. And I think the other thing too with with the listening piece is. Um, I think sometimes uh, as pastors and as Christians, we, we of course rightly have strong convictions and, and we should, um, that there's things worth being convicted about. Uh, but then we think sometimes our engagement with the culture, our engagement with the world has to be like, this is our thing, this is your thing, and we're just going to fight you about it. And And sometimes maybe there is just straight up disagreement. Like, I don't know, there is a God. There's not really a middle ground on that, right? Okay, so I'm going to stand for that. But I think it's also to say like, you know, to Marcus's point, if I may be talking to someone about social justice, or maybe, well, what do you mean by that? Okay, what, what do we mean by that? How can we understand each other better? How can I understand what you're wrestling with? And and how can we give a fuller picture and, and listen and walk in more tension? I think sometimes we're uncomfortable with tension, uh, and I think a lot of times the invitation is to hold on to that tension and walk with people in it um, and actually find that there's a lot of grace in that, a lot of uh, God works in that, I think. Yeah, it, it, to that end, you know, we talk a lot about speaking the truth in love um, and taking it from that theory to practice. Um, mm -hmm. And Marcus, why don't you kind of talk to that? That sort of grace and truth, that love and truth uh, dynamic is always going to be a little bit in tension uh, because I don't know. I've sort of just felt like, to a degree, there's there's no way around the fact that telling something someone that they don't want to hear, or telling someone something that they don't want to hear, never feels loving in the moment. Um, and so, whether it's talking through someone regarding issues around sexuality, uh, whether stuff that they're going through personally stuff that someone in their life is going through that what maybe in the moment feels loving to just be affirming and supportive and you do you um, in the long haul uh, we would believe isn't the most loving thing. Right. And so that is always going to be going to be attention. Um, and I think that in the midst of that, that's where, you know, again, thinking back to just the necessity of, of presence in people's lives, regardless of where they go through or what they go through, uh, where they turn, uh, the conclusions that they draw to simply say, hey, um, I'm not going to abandon you uh, is 
I think that's where that's where that demonstration of love, even when you have to say something that someone doesn't hear uh, or have to tell someone, hey, I know what you want me to say and I can't say it. Um, you know, I know you want affirmation right now and I can't give it. Um, but to also be able to not just say, but demonstrate, I'm going to be with you in the midst of, of all of this, um, I think is often one of the simplest, but also most profound ways to, to just demonstrate, uh, that again, that tension between, between grace and truth, love and truth, um, that we're called to live in. Yeah. Gabe, anything you want to add to the speaking the truth and love from theory to practice? So there's this uh, in in Huck Finn. There's this moment where uh, where Huck uh, and 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 Jim are floating down the river, and you know Jim's a runaway slave, and um, and he gets this notice that they've identified that he's traveling with this runaway slave, and he has to return him. And uh, and Huck's all torn up in his conscience because the Bible clearly states um, slaves obey your masters. Uh, clearly states that. Uh, now, of course. Like we understand it much more differently, right? But little 13-year-old Huck, he's just like, this is what it says. And so he's like, man, if I don't do this, um, I'm going to go to hell. If I don't return him, I'm going to go to hell. And so he he has this moment where he's like, do I return him or not? And he has this letter uh, and he needs to bring this letter to someone in order to, to return uh, Jim. And he's like, man, either I do this or I go to hell. And he says, you know what? And he tears up the letter and he says, I guess I'll just go to hell. Uh, now, the... The point there being that that for Huck, we we clearly would say he did the ethical thing, right? He protected his friend. He kept his friend safe. Like he obviously did the right thing, but he saw the ethical thing as being at odds with scripture. He saw the ethical thing as being at odds with the church. Now he was wrong in his understanding of, or well, the church was wrong in its teaching. And then he was wrong in his understanding of its teaching at that time. Uh, but, but nevertheless, he saw being good as at odds with Christianity of his day. And in many ways, that I think is is part of the struggle for uh, for people in in a post Christian world is that the the question surrounding Christianity is less is it true. I mean, that's always going to be a question, uh, but it, but it's less is it true. It's more is it good. Uh, and so when we think about this idea of speaking the truth in love, I think a lot of the opportunity is to show the goodness of Christianity in our love. Um, and again, not to let go of truth, but that's where I always, you know, the language we use around here and encourage our folks and, and ourselves is to live with soft edges and a firm center, um, which I, I got that from David Kinnaman. Uh, so, so, you know, we want to live with soft edges and a firm center that, hey, I know who I am in Christ. I know what it is to know him. I know, I mean, you know, let's go Lutheran. Like I subscribe to the confessions, like, right. Okay. Like I'm holding on to that. Like that's not going anywhere. And I'm going to live with soft edges towards my neighbors. Um, and that's, that's, it's that simple and it's that hard. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. I know we're just kind of scratching the surface of this. And um, if you've got another uh, 24 hours, uh, maybe uh, much longer than that, I'm sure we yeah, might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we could solve it, but uh, get a little more in depth. So uh, sure. anyway, again, thank you so much. We appreciate it. No problem. Happy to be on. Thanks so much, Jeff. Happy to be part of, of the conversation. Uh, God's blessings. And also thank you, the listener, for making this podcast part of your day. God bless.